This message is brought to you on behalf of the CD ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Our senior pastor, Matt Shia, is celebrating our missionaries by devoting this morning's message to them and encouraging us to be partakers in their ministry to others. While Pastor Matt is on vacation, it's our privilege to have one of our missionaries to Europe, Mark and Lisa Denai, here to update us on what's happening in their lives. Mark has just finished his studies in Scotland, and he and his family now plan on living in eastern France, where they will continue their involvement in church development among the French-speaking peoples. And now let's join Mark as he gives us an update. It's great to be with you. And um, like I said, you don't, you don't have to call me Dr. Deny, but I told my wife that that means that everything now that I say is right. <laughs> she has told me that her role in life is to keep me humble, so... <laughs> We, uh, we're a good team. <laughs> First, I just want to say thank you to Rancho Baptist and for the partnership that you've had with us since the beginning. If you look back at those, um, you know, we started uh, with church planting and uh, we left in May 1993 and we uh, went to Belgium and we were involved there and Rancho has been involved with us since that time, since I think 92 even as we were raising support to go. So we want to thank you for your partnership. You have helped make this possible. And your prayers and your interest in us, that has been so encouraging. So that's one of the main messages I want to give to you this morning is thank you. Your encouragement and your support and your, um, your interest in us over the years has really uh, been one of the things that has kept us going. So we want to thank you for that. Um, I wanted to, um, this morning, uh, share with you a little bit from the Word. And um, now as a missionary... It's a little difficult sometimes. What do you preach on when you're a missionary? You have uh, uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, you know, the Great Commission, go ye therefore into all the world. Okay, well, you've, you've probably heard a message or two on that. You might have heard a message or two on Acts 1-8, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit will come on you and fill you with power and you will be my witnesses uh, in Judea, Samaria. Okay, you've probably heard that one. So um, you probably have, you might have heard it from me. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think of, Something that would be um, uh, hopefully a challenge to you and an encouragement to you. Um, and as I thought about it I, and I prayed about it, I, I want to talk about something this morning that is as large as the history of the world and the meaning of life. And I also want to talk about something that is um, so personal and private that it stays in our hearts where no one can see it. Um, so said we could finish about five in the afternoon. Is that right? <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Um, first, I want to look at the big picture. And uh, this is the movement of God in the Bible. And we won't just be looking at uh, one passage, but trying to look at the, a broad sweep of Scripture. And so, if I do this right, whoa. There we go. Yes, that's it. God's plan for history. Um, what is God's plan for history? What's the big idea of what's going on? Um, well, there's four things I want to look at, um, four main points here. And the first one is um, something that starts with Abraham. It goes from him to all the families of the earth. And uh, this is the, the main content of what this message is, is the blessing of God. Um, I'm sure you know the passage, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's a key passage in the Bible. It's where, um, up until then, it's, you've had, uh, the, the main theme has been God's work, what's going on with all of humanity. 
And you've just had in, in Genesis uh, 10, the table of nations, and uh, Genesis 11, you, you have kind of the big picture of what's going on in the world. And then in Genesis 12, all of a sudden, God comes and focuses in on, uh, very specifically, Abraham. And he says this in um, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, or to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, why is Abraham chosen? What is the goal of this? We see there's several things included, and it's a subject of many studies, but the bottom line is at the end there, God says, uh, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is why God chooses this one person. It's the ultimate goal is to go out to all the world, the blessing of God. Now, it's interesting, if you trace this some through the Bible, um, a little bit later, at the end of Genesis, you've uh, gone through the, the patriarchs there, and um, if you get to Genesis 47, in verse 7, there's an interesting passage, which I hadn't paid attention much to before, uh, before I was uh, doing this study. Um, you have Joseph. Uh, he's gone down to Egypt, and uh, he's, brought, he's just brought his father, Jacob, down. And he's introducing his father to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh, this is the ruler of Egypt, the, maybe the most powerful person on earth at that time, or if not, at least one of them. Uh, this is the boss man, and he's introducing him to his father. And what happens? It says in Genesis 47.7, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. Then it says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. That's kind of weird. You'd think it would kind of go the other way around. Here you have this powerful man in the world, and then you have Jacob, who's the father of Joseph and a few other people, but really just a small little family from Canaan that's come down to Israel because they're impoverished and need food. And yet Jacob blesses Pharaoh. So you see it beginning. Abraham's uh, family is now beginning to bless the world. You go later, you work through all the way over through to the prophets, and you have see an interesting thing in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 4, 1 through 2, um, this is where God is um, calling out to uh, Israel to return to him. And he says something interesting at the end of this. He says, if you will return, O Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. If you put away your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if, in a truthful, just, and righteous way, you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will be blessed by him, and in him they will glory. Now this is a fascinating thing. He's talking about Israel returning, and, and, but there's a little twist at the end. It's not so much, he doesn't just say, if you return to me, then we'll be in a right relationship, and I'll bless you, and we'll be close again. Something like that. He, he says something further than that. He says... If you return to me, then the nations, they'll all be blessed. If, if Israel is living a right, right relationship with God, then all the nations are blessed. Um, we even see, uh, finally, if you go a little bit further in Isaiah, or as I learned to say when I was in the UK, Isaiah. I say funny things over there. 
one point I, uh, I was doing a, a children's talk and I was uh, using fruit, um, fruit and vegetables as an example and I was holding up different um, fruit and vegetables and I um, held up a, a tomato and I said, um, well, I said, what is this? And the children didn't answer. And I said, is it a tomato? And it's quiet. And someone said, tomato. <laughs> this is UK pronunciation. So a little cultural difference, even though it's a, roughly the same language. Well, anyway, in Isaiah 19, 24 and 25, um, God is, uh, uh, well, there's a prophecy here from Isaiah saying what God's going to do even in the future, even beyond today. And uh, he says, in that day, Israel will be third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, in, uh, my inheritance. Now, this is fascinating because if you look politically at the time, you have Egypt, a big mighty power, Assyria, a big mighty power, and Israel that kind of gets pushed around in between them. And yet we know Israel is uh, God's chosen people there. But uh, so really, often Egypt and Assyria are the bad guys in the story. And they're the ones that come in and attack Israel. Well, God says what will happen one day. And that day, um, uh, Israel will be like a a brother along with uh, Egypt and Assyria. And God will bless them all. And it is through this uh, choosing of Abraham way back when that this blessing will go out to all nations. So that's one theme that we see um, extending through the Bible, beginning with the uh, individual, the particular, and going to the universal, to all nations. Um, The next theme that we see uh, going through is um, from Israel to the nations, and here the theme is the knowledge of God. Um, So here it's not so much um, a person uh, person Abraham, but we have the nation of Israel, and why does God do certain things that he does with Israel? Well, he says it several times. He says in Joshua um, uh, 4.24, this is where um, the Jordan River has been dried up so that Israel can cross. And then he says why he does it. He says, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Why does God do this thing? So that people might know that God is God and that he is powerful. Um, later, in uh, 1 Kings, and this is uh, 1 Kings 19.19, 19, you have Hezekiah. Um, you have, again, the, the bad guys in the story here, Assyria. They've come in and they're um, about to attack. And Hezekiah is praying for deliverance. And he prays and he says this, Now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, that is Assyria, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. So why does uh, Hezekiah implore God to act? So that people will know that God is God, the only God. Um, as you get uh, later in Ezekiel, you have the same thing happening. Um, in Ezekiel 36, uh, 22 through 23, you have an interesting thing. This is um, where Ezekiel's uh, prophesying there's the um, there's the exile. Uh, uh, Israel is sent away from the promised land, and he's prophesying when they come back, and um, that Israel will be restored. And then he says why God will do this. And this is fascinating. In Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23, he says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do those, these things, but for the sake of my holy name, 
Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Now that's a great little passage right there at the end. Uh, I show myself holy through you before their eyes. So why is God um, doing this thing with Israel? So that he can show that he is holy to the rest of the world. So that the knowledge of God may go out. Now, this knowledge of God um, is not always a positive thing in the Bible. Sometimes it can be a scary thing. And you see this also in Ezekiel in Ezekiel 25, um, throughout this passage, and uh, there are several prophecies against different um, uh, surrounding countries. And one of them is a prophecy against uh, Ammon in uh, 25.7, and he said, I will destroy you, and you will know that I am the Lord. So that's one way to find out God is the Lord, by destruction. Uh, pretty rough. Um, there's a prophecy against Moab in verse 11 of uh, Ezekiel 25. He says, I will inflict punishment on Moab. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In um, verse 17, he says, uh, against Philistia, he says, Then they will know that I am the Lord when I take vengeance on them. So this, um, God's work in Israel has a purpose. It's so that the knowledge of God may go out to the nations. And this knowledge... Um, if it's in a right relationship, it's a positive thing. If it's in people rebelling against God, it's a very negative thing. Another um, theme that we see running through the Bible um, is, and, and again, something that begins with a particular and goes to the universal, is the king who rules from Zion to the ends of the earth. So you have a king, one person, uh, and he's in a specific geographical place, and yet this rule is to be ultimately universal. Um, this specific place uh, is singled out Zion. We see this a number of times, a particular place right there in the heart of uh, Jerusalem. And um, we see this, well, like I said, in a number of places, but one is uh, Psalm 99, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He, he is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. So this is an interesting thing. Um, I guess, you know, I, I've grown up in church and, and I've uh, heard the Bible all my life. And so when I he hear something like, Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. That doesn't really trip a switch with me. But think about it for a minute. If you want to say God is great over all the nations, wouldn't you just say that? Why do you want to include this specific place? But this is something that, um, that the author here, and ultimately God, who's inspiring this Bible, is saying um, God is beginning in one specific place, um, Zion. He's ruling in Jerusalem there. And it goes out to all the world. And now, not only is it a specific geographical place, but a specific person is chosen. And you have uh, David and then his, um, his descendants, the Davidic ruler. You see this in another psalm, in Psalm 72, uh, 72, 8 through 11. Now this is written concerning Solomon. So this is a son, the son of David, uh, but still in the line of David. And he says, He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. All the kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. So this is a, a, a specific person, a specific ruler, but yet it goes out 
to all the world. And ultimately, this isn't accomplished in Solomon's time or David's time, is it? I mean, Solomon had a pretty good uh, uh, chunk of land there, but it certainly wasn't to the ends of the earth, and it wasn't all rulers uh, of, the, of the nations that were bowing down to him. So ultimately, this is going to be accomplished through David's descendant, Jesus, the, the Messiah. But it's something that goes out to all the world. So this is a fascinating thing. We have from Abraham to all the families of the earth, the blessing of God. You have from Israel to all the nations, the knowledge of God. You have from the king who uh, rules in Zion to the ends of the earth, the rule of God. God's rule is being um, put in place. This is a theme that uh, seems to be going throughout the whole Bible. But one final thing, as I said, there were four points I wanted to bring up, and the fourth one is, uh, is uh, kind of a little twist on that. It's another theme that seems to run through the Bible, and it is the, uh, the theme that this message is going out to all by way of the least. By way of the least. Um, this is best explained, I think, in a passage from the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, a uh, uh, fascinating passage. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. This is where Paul is talking to the Corinthians about who they were before they became believers. He says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. This God that chooses uh, the, the weak, the, what does he say, the, um, the foolish things, the weak things, the lowly things, this is the same God that in the Old Testament is, is Hannah's God. Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Um, Hannah, as she prays, uh, at the beginning of 1 Samuel there, she, ex- uh, she says, this is the God who exalts the, uh, the lowly and humbles the exalted. This is Mary's God. Mary's God who fills the hungry and dismisses the rich. This is in Mary's prayer when uh, uh, Gabriel announces that uh, Jesus is going to be born. Um, in uh, uh, the choosing of David, this is the same God who chooses the younger of Jesse's sons, David, when no one else even thought he was worthy to be summoned when they were going to decide who was going to be king. He's, he shouldn't even be called. But this is the one that God wants. So God, uh, we see, uh, the passage in Isaiah 57, 15, says God himself not only inhabits the highest heaven, but he comes among the humblest of his servants on earth. This is a, a fascinating theme that occurs again and again throughout the Bible. So, What does all this mean? If you are not great in the world's eyes as you are here this morning, then I have some good news. You are qualified for significant ministry. You can think, but I'm a nobody. Good. (laughs) Then you're in the right spot. You're in the right spot. This is often, not always, we don't want to put God in a box and say he always has to work some way, but often that is how God works. So we have God's big plan in history that he is um, uh, working um, uh, through history from particular individuals going to all the earth, and often he's choosing the least, the lowly. 
Well, the question we can ask this morning is, how do I fit in to God's plan for history? We have what God's doing, the big sweep of things. How do I fit in? Well, I want to share with you, um, I guess, the, uh, uh, a few stories. And, and they all revolve around a bottom line, which uh, to me is commitment. What is your commitment this morning? What is your commitment? Do you have a commitment to God that will um, say, yes, I commit you to you, God, and to your plan and to what you're doing, and I want to give my life to that? Or are we committed to other things? Um, I want to share with you a few stories. Um, uh, life as a missionary is, and you know what, if you've been around a church anywhere uh, and you've lived in Christian community, it's not always easy. There are some tough times. And I can share with you a few stories. I think of one guy um, I was at seminary with, with. I went to Talbot up in the La Mirada, and a guy that was with me there, his name was Steve. Steve is very bright. He did very well at Talbot. He got uh, scholarships and uh, was awarded prizes, and he was doing very well at Talbot. Um, he came from a pretty rough background, not in the sense of a uh, violence or you know, um, abusive home in one way, but he came from a very legalistic and restrictive Christian home. And his ultimate commitment was to freedom. He wanted to be in a, in a, um, away from that kind of legalistic and repressive home. And so he came to Talbot and he enjoyed his studies there, but his ultimate commitment was to freedom. He went on and he did a PhD at uh, UC Irvine. And um, when he was there, he pretty much decided that uh, the things he had learned at Talbot and he had learned in the churches uh, that he had been in was all wrong, that the Bible really isn't the word of God. And um, he's turned away from his faith, and um, he's a very bright guy, and I uh, really enjoyed having him as a friend, but he, um, he had a bigger commitment to his own idea of what freedom is. No one can tell me what to do. I'm in charge. Uh, that was his ultimate commitment in his life, and so he's turned away. I think of another guy named Eric. He was in our church in Belgium, and he was, a, he was on our leadership team. His wife was a deaconess in our church. And he had a commitment. Um, ultimately, it was to a former pastor that he had. He had come from another church, and this former pastor kind of had some weird ideas, and he led this Bible study that uh, Eric would go to. And, um, and ultimately, this former pastor decided that, um, you know, Jesus really isn't the Messiah. The New Testament's just not right. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, this whole Christianity thing is wrong. And so Eric had a bigger commitment to his former pastor, and so he followed his teaching, and he left the church, left his wife, um, a big uh, disaster, because Eric's ultimate commitment was to someone else. It wasn't to God. Um, I think of one other guy I taught with at the Belgian Bible Institute. Um, uh, we can call him uh, Alex. And Alex, very bright, um, extremely bright, uh, doing a PhD in Old Testament that could you know, read Hebrew and Arabic and all these ancient languages. And he had a big commitment to justice, or at least his view of justice. And we would have discussions, and he couldn't understand sometimes, well, how can God, you know, uh, choose one person, not another? How could God, you know, have a hell if, if um, uh, you know, if he's truly loving and all this? And, and, um, it's, and his big thing was God's justice. It's just not fair for God to do some things the way that he does things. Now, I don't know that Alex has turned away from his faith, but I know he's not teaching anymore at the Bible Institute. He's not attending a church because he's just had this view that um, uh, 
it's not just what he, um, the way that God is presented in the Bible, not according to his standard of justice. So that's his biggest commitment. So these are three examples. You have Steve committed to his own freedom. Um, Eric committed to another person. Uh, Alex that's committed to justice. They put those values higher than their commitment to God. But I want to share with you uh, uh, a couple other stories. I don't want to leave on that note. That's fairly depressing. <laughs> but um, uh, a few other stories that uh, warm my heart. One of them is this family right here, uh, Mark and Deborah DeVries and their four children. And they were at our church in Belgium. Um, Mark is a, a medical technician by trade. He's spent a number of years in Africa working with a, a hospital linked with our mission, with a World Venture Hospital in the Ivory Coast. When he was working there, he met um, Deborah, and they got married, and they came up to Belgium to get further theological training. Well, when they were up in Belgium, there was this um, war in the Ivory Coast. If you've been following politics there, it's still, it's not a hot war now, but it's just kind of simmering, and it's not completely resolved. So they haven't been able to go back to Ivory Coast. They got a house in Belgium. They, he had a good job in Belgium. They had, I mean, especially coming from a, a difficult situation in Africa, I mean, they were set. They were living in a wealthy European country. He had a good job working for a medical um, uh, supply company, and uh, uh, they had a house. So everything was set for them. But you know what? They have a bigger commitment to God than to their own comfort. So the good news I can tell you, let's see, we're Sunday... Um, not yesterday, but a week ago from yesterday, they left Belgium to go to Burkina Faso. And they've gone with a group, an evangelical uh, British group, uh, the Tear Fund, and they are going to go work in a hospital in Ouagadougou, which is the capital of Burkina Faso. It's one of my favorite city names, Ouagadougou. It sounds <laughs> funny. Anyway, they're going there, and they're going to work at a medical clinic there that... Um, um, works with the, the poorest of the people there and also um, doing evangelism. And so to me, they are stories of commitment um, that warm my heart. Um, another story of commitment. Um, the picture didn't come through, but the name is there. Andrew Clark, he's my doctoral supervisor at the University of Aberdeen, where I've been doing my studies. Um, he uh, is a world-class scholar. Um, he's specialized in 1 Corinthians and uh, and. Pauline ecclesiology, Paul's view of the church. Um, he was an elder at the church we attended. We attended a Baptist church in the north of Aberdeen, and he had a, and he had a good life. He has a home. He has a, uh, he's a tenured position at a, one of the, what they call the ancient universities in the UK. He has a, a great uh, faculty position. He was an elder at a local church. Why would he need to shake up his life any? <laughs> Well, he was living 20 miles outside of Aberdeen, and so it was kind of a big commute in, and they found there were other Christians living out there, and there wasn't a church out there. So this last year, he started a church plant. He's begun a church, and um, it hasn't been uh, always easy, but now they're meeting, and they have a good core group of people, and they're growing, and it's exciting. And uh, just before I left to, to come here to the States, uh, um, he uh, took me out for lunch, and we were talking about his church and how they're doing and you know he said we just oh we had a difficult situation this week and um, thought wow you know he he was comfortable he was fine but he had a bigger commitment to God than to just his comfort and the status quo so he's involved in a church plant which is taking an enormous amount of his time I shouldn't say involved he's, he's leading this church plant so um, another story of commitment to God placing that above 
commitment to other things. One other story, which I really like, um, I don't have his picture here, but James Haley Hutchison, and the DVD that you saw, he was the guy a um, little bit uh, bald on top and had a nice, um, good English accent. Um, it's a good aristocratic English accent um, because James Haley Hutchison is an English aristocrat. He comes from a noble family. He went to Eton and Cambridge. These are the schools that royalty go to. He got a job after that in the city of London um, in the financial sector. He was an investment um, advisor. His life was set. What more could you want? <laughs> You're British nobility, you have the best education, you have money, you're set. And then he became a Christian. And it turned his life upside down. He got involved in teaching, he ended up doing further studies, got involved in missions, he moved down to France, he ended up doing a PhD in Old Testament, and he uh, has been a missionary in France. Um, just last year he was named director of the Belgian Bible Institute. And he's asked me to go work with him, and we'll be working some with him, um, I'm commuting up there to, to teach. But uh, he, uh, he now lives in a small apartment in the back of the Bible Institute. Um, I was going through uh, Belgium a, a year and a half ago, and, I, was, and uh, I contacted him and said, hey, could we get together? And he said, actually, I can't meet at that particular time because I'm back in the UK raising support. I thought, raising support? <laughs> He's like me. <laughs> He's, uh, he had it all. And now he's living in a small apartment, and he just got married last year, and, uh, and they go visit churches, raise support. And he is so excited, though, to have his ministry that he has and training church leaders um, for, uh, to, to spread the gospel in Europe and beyond. So to me, he's a story of someone that has uh, given his, um, the, the good things he has, he's put those aside, and he is committed to God above all, and to God's plan for his life. Um, so I guess I want to end this morning by asking you, what will your story be? I've shared some stories. We looked at some, uh, some biblical ideas, this big idea of God's work in history, about uh, our part in it. I shared some stories, some a little depressing, others hopefully encouraging. But what is your story this morning? It will be determined by your commitment to God. Do you put that first above other commitments that you have in this life? Or will other things kind of uh, block out what God uh, wants to do in your life? I want to leave you with that thought then, that challenge. Well, you and myself, uh, even as a missionary, it's easy to put other things in front of what God would have me do. So... I think we need to be challenged in this way regularly. So maybe I can just uh, finish up by praying and um, asking God's blessing and God's strength to have our story be a story that glorifies him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, for your uh, story about what you're doing in history. Thank you, God, for, um, for examples that you give us in our own lives of um, people that we can see that have uh, followed you and been faithful to you, God. God, I pray for each one of us here this morning that as we think about what our commitment is to you, God, that we, um, we do not consider our own views of whatever they may be, uh, our own view of freedom or justice or commitment to another person or, our, or specifically here in this nice, rich country, our own comfort, God, 
that we do not put those things above you. God, I pray that um, for each one of us here this morning, we could think again about what it means to have you be first in our life. And maybe what that might mean and might cost us. Sacrifices that we need to make, changes that we need to make to follow your plan for our lives. Thank you, God, that you love us and that you, um, you bring us along and you teach us and you help us grow. And uh, I pray for, again, just each one of us here, God, that we could be growing and be um, understanding and discerning more and more what you want from us, God, and that we could be faithful and you would give us the strength to, to carry out your will in our lives. Thank you, God, for your word and your message this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you've been blessed in any way by today's broadcast, we'd love to hear from you. Why don't you drop us a line at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org and you can email any one of the staff members that are there. Or you can even call us at area code 951-676-2911. We just pray that you've been touched today and we pray that God blesses you in your walk with Him. Have a great day in the Lord.